the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. We're joined by Catherine Herridge. She, of course, an award-winning broadcast journalist and Fox News correspondent, the author of a number of best-selling books, including her latest, The Next Wave, On the Hunt for Al-Qaeda's American Recruits. And Catherine, thanks so much for taking time to be with us today. Craig, it's an honor to be with you today. Thank you for having me. You know, it's amazing. We, we think of fifth columnists related to the Second World War and the concerns about the possibility of sabotage taking place here in America at the hands of either Japanese or the Italians or the Germans, participants in World War II. Largely, most most of that forgotten. Today, though, it seems as if in a lot of quarters, the idea of having to be worried about fifth columnists in our midst for a more modern terrorist attack on the United States is not as largely on the radar screen as perhaps it ought to be. Why is that? Well, I think with bin Laden's death, many people felt that perhaps this was the end of the war uh, against radical Islam. But what I lay out in this book, The Next Wave, is that, in fact, this next chapter may be even harder to fight because Americans are now front and center among these al-Qaeda recruits. I call them al-Qaeda 2.0. These are people who are born here and raised here. They understand us, and they also, unfortunately, understand how to use our systems against us. And since January of 2009, what I lay out in the book is that there's been a case of homegrown terrorism with a link to an international group every two to three weeks, so the numbers are really there in a way that we just didn't anticipate 10 years ago. Let's talk a bit about the notion of why someone here in the United States, um, either naturalized or U.S. born. This report is sponsored by Insperity. Take alert in Antioch, westbound 4, just before Hillcrest Avenue. Major injury crash. Three left lanes are blocked. Traffic backed up to Sand Creek Road. And uh, no estimated time for clearing. San Leandro, a car in an SUV, northbound 880 at Marina Boulevard, now moved over to the shoulder. In Oakley, eastbound Highway 4, just before Laurel Road, it's a motorcycle and a plumbing van. That has been cleared. Traffic is still at a stop and go from Highway 160. On the Bay Bridge, eastbound 80 between the 880 overcrossing and University Avenue. Traffic at a stop and then a sluggish out to Pinole. That's traffic. I'm Michael Bennett. Providing scalable HR services, employee benefits, payroll, and HR technology for 30-plus years. Insperity's mission is to help businesses succeed so communities prosper. Insperity, HR that makes a difference. Visit Insperity.com. MMBB provides quality retirement benefits for pastors. Email the Reverend Augie Bao for information. Augie.bau at mmbb.org. The Antichrist will bring global peace and will be widely admired until he demands to be widely worshipped. That unleashes the abomination of desolation. 
This week on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie helps us gain a clear picture of God's plan and provision for the end times. Tune in this week for A New Beginning. A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie, Monday through Friday at 1130 a.m., right here on AM 1100 KFAX. People who are vaccinated are getting sick from COVID variants, and Americans have no end of questions and concerns. What we do know is that fever is the leading sign of COVID, so everyone needs The fifth column, it was called during World War II, the secretive, subversive underground saboteur bent on destroying the so-called enemy on his home territory. It took place in many nations, certainly throughout the world, most notably throughout many parts of Europe, but even here in the United States, there were concerns about the so-called damage potentially of the fifth column during World War II. While times might have changed, to be sure, in the ensuing 70-something years, the idea of bringing mayhem, destruction, and sabotage to the enemy on their home base has remained the same. Today, while we don't refer to them as fifth columnists, they are nevertheless subversives working in our own midst. Some might suggest it's part of the next wave of American-grown, American-born, terrorists. As we mark this anniversary of the tragedy that was September 11th, 2001, we're joined by Catherine Herridge. She, of course, an award-winning broadcast journalist and Fox News correspondent, the author of a number of best-selling books, including her latest, The Next Wave, On the Hunt for Al-Qaeda's American Recruits. And Catherine, thanks so much for taking time to be with us today. Craig, it's an honor to be with you today. Thank you for having me. You know, it's amazing. We, we think of fifth columnists related to the Second World War and the concerns about the possibility of sabotage taking place here in America at the hands of either uh, Japanese or the Italians or the Germans, participants in World War II. Largely most of that forgotten. Today, though, it seems as if in a lot of quarters, the idea of having to be worried about fifth columnists in our midst for a more modern terrorist attack on the United States is not as largely on the radar screen as perhaps it ought to be. Why is that? Well, I think with bin Laden's death, many people felt that perhaps this was the end of the war uh, against radical Islam. But what I lay out in this book, The Next Wave, is that, in fact, this next chapter may be even harder to fight because Americans are now front and center among these al-Qaeda recruits. I call them al-Qaeda 2.0. These are people who are born here and raised here. They understand us, and they also, unfortunately, understand how to use our systems against us. And since January of 2009, what I lay out in the book is that there's been a case of homegrown terrorism with a link to an international group every two to three weeks. So the numbers are really there in a way that we just didn't anticipate 10 years ago. Let's talk a bit about the notion of why someone here in the United States, um, either naturalized or U.S. born. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to this very special tribute edition of Lifeline. I'm Craig Roberts. As we mark this anniversary of the tragedy that was September 11th, 2001, we're joined by Catherine Herridge. She, of course, an award-winning broadcast journalist and Fox News correspondent, the author of a number of best-selling books, including her latest, The Next Wave, On the Hunt for Al-Qaeda's American Recruits. And is there a sense, perhaps here, Catherine, of a lack of resolve to try and bring these people to trial and ultimately 
to justice that not only gives them a sense of being emboldened, but but also puts us at higher risk again, that notion of justice delayed, justice denied. You know, there was a very strong message that the Allies wished to communicate on the heels of World War Two, that the magnitude of the crimes against humanity that were committed by the Germans needed to be brought to justice swiftly and surely. It's almost here as if we're treating the events of September 2001 as if it was no big deal, inconsequential. Well, just over the last weekend, I uh, went and visited a 9-11 family that I've come to know over the years through my reporting. And uh, one of them said to me, uh, this is going to be a very hard anniversary. Uh, They said September 11th is always a very hard day for us for obvious reasons. But they just never imagined uh, 10 years ago that we would be in this place where no one had been brought to justice for these crimes. Um, the 9-11 case is an extremely complicated case, um, in large part because these five men were held in the CIA uh, detention program, the secret prisons, and I've always felt that the trial of these men will really be a trial within a trial about the CIA program. So it, it's a hard case to bring, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try and bring it, and we shouldn't have already brought that that case. Then you have to wonder, what do we need to do to get this thing jump-started? I mean, we look at issues of the enemy amongst us, the the delay in bringing any of those that we've been holding, quite frankly, for a decade right. now, to trial. That sense of giving aid and comfort, I think, to the enemy too, Catherine, amongst us, in that there's a sense that we're, we're not taking this seriously, uh, that there's not a huge risk here, and at the speed and rate in which we're moving, they could, in fact, potentially be planning right now to perpetrate something on us that maybe will escape the detection uh, of the CIA and the FBI and others responsible for monitoring the so-called chatter on these websites. Uh, and, you know, it, it only needs to take one to slip through in order to be successful. And I, and I guess that's part of the problem here, too. We boast about the number of ones that we catch, but it only takes one to slip through to have an impact. Well, I don't think many people realize uh, how close we've come, even just in the last three years. Uh, I confirmed recently through one of my intelligence contacts that the uh, attempted underwear bombing on Christmas Day in 2009, that that device actually did detonate, but the reason the explosives did not ignite is because the explosives were damp, because the young Nigerian man had been wearing the device for nearly 24 hours. So that was... I mean, that was a lot of luck, unfortunately. And then just last fall, the same group, uh, the Al-Qaeda group in Yemen, tried to send these cargo printer bombs into the United States with the goal of blowing up the aircraft uh, over the United States. And one of those devices, um, we asked the British to screen it. They screened it. They said they found they found nothing. They were ready to let that package go until the U.S. insisted that they screen it again, and that's when they found the bomb. So that's a, that's a second time. And I think people are unaware uh, of the extent that we've been very lucky, and I also think they're unaware to the extent Al-Qaeda has really cleverly thought out of the box and gone after American citizens because they understand that it's very hard for us to put our own citizens under the microscope because we have freedoms and protections in our country. I mean, that's one of the great things about the United States, but it's those very freedoms and those very protections that make it hard to look at people who may be al-Qaeda sympathizers within the United States. And this was really 
This was really by design. There's no question about that based on my reporting. Does this mean ultimately we need to double down our efforts, not to suggest that we should go back to some of the things that we saw as complaints about the way America managed the sabotage threat to our security here at home during World War II, but is there necessarily a need to revisit the totality of how we're managing not only bringing very well-known criminals, uh, terrorists to justice or failing to do so, along with sort of the lackadaisical atmosphere that I'm going to suggest, Catherine, is creating an atmosphere that would encourage enemies of the United States to try another attack on us just because there's such a lackadaisical approach that we're taking. I, if I could take my reporter's hat off for a moment, what I would say is I think it may be time to really have a national discussion or debate um, about what the future of terrorism looks like and the likelihood of what I would describe as small-scale or medium-scale attacks where we may find American citizens uh, or naturalized citizens uh, at the heart of it. Um, Look, I don't think we want to so fundamentally change the way that we live that we have the government so in our business that we're going to prevent everything, right? Because that's kind of a win for al-Qaeda, too. I mean, one of their goals is to make us change change the way that we live our lives. So if we're not willing to do that, we have to have a discussion about the likelihood of these types of attacks and that that may be part of the price we pay in the future because the al-Qaeda problem is not going away. In fact, I believe it's becoming harder to fight because of the emergence of these American operatives and that as a country, we're not going to constantly contort when there's a near miss or there's an event because that's what we seem to do in all of these cases. And that gives these groups an even bigger victory, if you will. It is a book that will open up the window into what has been happening in the United States in relationship to dealing with these terrorists over the last decade. And then most importantly, a stern warning about the future. Catherine Herridge, the book is called The Next Wave, On the Hunt for Al-Qaeda's American Recruits. Catherine, as always, a delight and an education to have you with us. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks for such great questions. I always enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you were to take a snapshot or a profile of Americans, certainly I think it can be said that we have a love of our cars, a love of our technology. We love our entertainment and we certainly love our sports. In fact, in many respects, the love of sports as a pastime seems to be, in many ways, uniquely American. Now, there are sports like soccer, which certainly are international. Baseball seems to be fairly global as to um, perhaps basketball. But football? Football is uniquely American. We enjoy our sports because it's a time of diversion, entertainment. It's big business. It's athletic skill, character building, and role modeling. Well, perhaps more accurately put on those last two points, we seem to see less and less of role modeling and character building in professional sports today. And that's a growing concern, especially in a day and an age when so many young people are so yearning to have role models in their lives. Joining me today in studio is Jim Grassi. Jim is the founder and president of Men's Ministry Catalyst. He is the author of a number of best-selling, award-winning books, born and raised in the Bay Area. And he's got a brand new book out on the topic of football and faith called Guts, Grace, and Glory. And Jim, it's always great to have you with us. It's always a pleasure to be here at KFAX and to see you, Greg. We've 
been around together for many years. We have indeed. Shared microphones before. We have indeed, and a pleasure to do it with you again today on this important topic, and, and one that I think, Jim, is getting more and more attention, this issue of professional sports and what's happening in the arena of professional sports. And sadly, not all of that attention is good attention. Now, most recently, just to quickly address the sort of elephant in the room, has been the protest that began here, as we all know, in San Francisco with the 49ers, Colin Kaepernick protesting some of the issues concerning what's happened in places like Charlottesville and certainly in Ferguson. And and, and to be sure, um, we have a lot to be worked on in the arena of police relations with minority communities, race relations at the broader level. Uh, there's a lot taking place there, too. But that said, there's also, I think, this, this looming issue within professional sports that it isn't what it used to be. And by that, I mean anybody that's been around the game for more than a while and knows names like Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle and Johnny Unitas and Babe Ruth and and Willie Mays can certainly understand that there seems to have been in the last mm, 15, maybe 20 years, a major paradigm shift. It's remained America's favorite pastime, to be sure. But what's happening to the character building? the role modeling within the industry, and maybe there's the operative word, it's become America's industry, seems to say a lot. If it's true, as I said in my opening remarks, Jim, that um, a lot can be said about or learned about America because of our interests and our pastimes, then I was supposed to, when we kind of pull the curtain back on professional ball these days, it says a lot about who we're becoming, and it's not a good reflection. Oh, that's for sure, Craig. And um, as a student of the game and and a person that has been associated with football from the inside a little bit, I served in the capacity as chaplain for the Raiders for a number of years, for the 49ers for a year, uh, have had uh, deep relationships with a number of NFL coaches and players. I say that as background to say this. You you nailed it when you said about 20 years ago because I started this work with uh, my chaplaincy with various uh, sports teams um, just about 25 years ago. And the character I saw trying to be portrayed among players at that time is different than what I see today. I'm still connected at some level with some coaches and some teams. And I occasionally speak to the entire team about this issue of character. In fact, I know it sounds like an oxymoron, and for those listeners that would think that the Oakland Raiders would have a chaplain and character coach, that was my official title given to me by John Gruden when he was coach. But they say I failed at my job. <laughs> but it challenges at least. It's challenges. <laughs> but you know, um, not to put everybody into the same light. Um, within the NFL, uh, all the teams, uh, and I'll speak specifically NFL. They've done uh, the Giants and Colorado Rockies at one time. Um, they have chaplains and they have uh, chapels that the men attend 
And um, there's some real men of great character and faith, the Steve Wisniewski's of the world, the Rich Gannons, uh, people that I had the privilege of getting to know, the Napoleon Kaufmans and folks like that, um, that really want to uh, embrace and um, uh, become those men, those strong men of faith and character uh, as role models for their teammates and for the community. But what we remember with the Joe DiMaggio's and Willie Mazes and the Johnny Unitas's and all that, there used to be a sense of uh, pride and ownership among the men about being a good role model. And certainly there were the exceptions back in those days, but I have before me a, a, a list that I did for this show of research uh, since 2000, in the NFL, there's been 656 arrests of NFL players. And by team, the worst team, believe it or not, is the Minnesota Vikings with 42 arrests. And all the way down to the St. Louis Rams, uh, now the L.A. Rams, with eight arrests. But the reality is that... Um, you know, people uh, are coming into football with a different mindset and background. Uh, today, uh, my unofficial research in the NFL is of the teams I've spoken to, roughly 70 to 75 percent of the men did not have a father, a biological father in the home when they grew up. And so they did not have a sense of values and stewardship of their gifts and talents that, you know, we, we assumed is common among athletes. So you're really seeing then a breakdown or the results or the impact of the breakdown of the nuclear family. That's right. And sadly then, you're seeing sports become more and more of a reflection, pro sports, more of a reflection of what's happening in society as right. a whole. And, and so the respect factor, the honor factor, the stewardship factor of what character is, and maybe we want to even define that for our listeners, uh, those things are not a given. And hence they have a person like myself come in and talk to the men about character and character development, protecting the legacy of the sport, of your name, of your family. Um, I remember I was at a 49er training camp when Coach Mariucci asked me, you know, to speak to the whole team. And obviously, in the role as a, quote, character coach, I have to use be more generic, but I bring in the faith aspect because to me, you can't deny that. But I had one athlete come up after, and he said, uh, Dr. Grassi, um, what makes you think that I asked to be a role model? And I go, well, man, uh, you know, he said, I didn't ask for this. And I said, by virtue of what you do, you are a role model. The question isn't whether you're a role model or not. The question is, what kind of role model are you going to be? And how do you want to be remembered? What's a legacy you want? And part of the thing I do with the teams during these moments is I have newspaper article after newspaper article of various athletes who stumbled and failed miserably, shootings, murders, uh, and whatnot. And I bring up these names, and I says these guys, many of them were all pro players, and they're not going to be remembered for their statistics 
or their their uh, things when you remember Ray Lewis or other players, uh, people that I could name. I mean, there's a host of them. Uh, you immediately go to how the, what they did that they're remembered for, and that's what I try to communicate to these young men that are so impressionable and have the resources and the networks and everything that they can get lost in, in this uh, whole maze of sin. And, and I think there's a broader lesson there too, Jim, uh, for all of us to say that if you were elected president of the United States, you could argue that, you know, I didn't sign up for the job that says I have to be awoken right. at 2 o'clock in the morning because some fight has broken out in a country 10,000 miles away that might not even have been interested to the United States, and yet the president of the United States has a responsibility. Every job comes with its responsibilities. And That's some good. we can embrace, like the responsibility of picking up my paycheck every two mm-hmm. weeks. And others we say, guess what? It is just part of the job. And, and that leads us to, I think, an important point that I want to come back to after we take a brief time out. And that is what seems to also be a major paradigm shift in attitude and that observation you just shared uniquely points to this as to how the players see themselves today it could probably be argued that most of them simply see themselves as famous as opposed to intrinsically seeing themselves first and foremost as role models. Let's come back to that point. Jim Grassi is with us today in the studio, the founder and president of Men's Ministry Catalyst. And you can get information, by the way, on the web at mensministrycatalyst.org. That's mensministrycatalyst.org. Jim, as he mentioned, is the former chaplain with the San Francisco 49ers, the Oakland Raiders, authored a number of best-selling books, including his most recent book, Guts, Grace, and Glory. A brief time out back with more as our conversation with Jim Grassy continues here on Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the program. We are pleased to have with us today in studio Dr. Jim Grassy, founder and president of Men's Ministry Catalyst, author of a number of best-selling books, including his most recent book, Guts, Grace, and Glory. And Jim, we've been drawing some parallels here between what's happening in America today, culturally, socially, morally, and how that in many respects, sports are a reflection on who we are as a people. And if that be the case, what we're seeing in the mirror these days is not all that encouraging. You mentioned some of the greats, Bart Starrs, the Johnny Unitases, the Joe Namaths, on the baseball side, people like Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, others, that young people of America, and as we were growing up, we looked up to these figures. We saw them for not only their incredible prowess on the gridiron or on the diamond, uh, but also for who they were as role models. Sadly, it seems as if, and, and reason with me, is this true from your perspective, from your vantage point, are more and more of these players today seeing themselves less as role models and more just as famous people? Is that part of the problem? Well, I, I think it even goes beyond that, Craig. I think people, a lot of athletes today, not all of them, but see themselves as entertainers. And, you know, I submit this to you, Craig. If I have a broken leg, would I go to my dentist to ask how to fix my leg? Yeah, probably not a good idea. Or would I go to my plumber or my mechanic to ask how to fix my leg? 
you see. And yet, uh, people, some people in sports today see that they've been, been given a God-given platform because we know all gifts, all our talents, all our abilities come from God. And they think this platform gives them the right to use that platform to tell me about politics, to tell me about respecting the flag, to tell me about whatever. Now, I look at it this way. If KFAX were to pay me a check uh, monthly for services to do the great job you do, and I just want to do a sidetrack. No one's paid me to say this. I've had the privilege in doing books and radio and television interviews for 20-plus years, and you are the best interviewer I've ever had. Well, thank and you, I, I, I mean that, and I hope the audience all glory to is God. appreciative. All they have to do is go outside their universe here, and they would see that you are truly a gifted person that way. But coming back to the topic, the reality is if KFAX are paying me a check, okay, uh, they are not paying me to give my viewpoints on things other than what they're paying me for. Now, can I outside the KFAX radio station give my viewpoints on things? Most definitely. I'm all for free speech. I'm all for unity among the races. I'm all for men standing up for what they believe. I'm all for that. But I do not, I feel it is a disrespectful thing to um, take a platform that was given to you, that you earned, that you worked for, but nevertheless that you have a respect and right to the ownership who's paying you to represent what you do. In this case, is football. I'm not going to go to a football player and ask him how to fix my broken leg. Okay, and I, and I think that that we're seeing a reaction. I um, just got out of a meeting this morning, talking with a pastor who asked me about this, because because I've done so many uh, books on the subject of football and faith and all this kind of stuff and using football's metaphor. I have literally uh, this binder that is in front of you right now is a stack of emails and. Um, uh, media stuff that's come to me about the question, this very question that we're dealing with right here, and looking for uh, an answer to this profound and, and confusing thing. How can an athlete uh, disrespect our flag and be paid for that? And it's okay with the NFL, according to their most recent position, that they do that. Well, and I think the other thing, even deeper to this, and, and I realize that this tends to hit a, a, a raw nerve and on the broader topic of the challenges that we as a country are facing in terms of racial relations these days, it, it is a raw nerve, and understandably so. I, I mentioned to you off the air a couple of weeks ago, I had dinner with Pam Tebow, that is Tim Tebow's mother, and of course a very strong family, um, both of Tim's parents been involved in the missions field, in fact uh, Tim was raised in the Philippines when his dad was working there as a missionary, so they're strong, solid evangelical believers, and uh, I asked her opinion on this topic of what do you think about the fact that we're seeing these protests across the country uh, taking a knee, and yet when your son took a knee in prayer, 
or in showing gratefulness to God for a victory on the gridiron for the touchdown and scoring that he was absolutely eviscerated in the press Mm -hmm. and was forbidden from uh, doing that action, taking that knee by the NFL. Mm -hmm. And the disingenuousness of all of this, that one is acceptable, but suddenly the other one is not. One seems to be politically correct in this moment in time, and the other one, well, let's face it, um, Christianity is not all that much in fashion anymore in this pluralistic society where more and more it seems that secular humanism is reigning supreme. Yes, and I've had a couple NFL coaches call me and that I correspond with and talk to on a weekly basis because they have uh, members of their team coming up going, Coach, I don't believe in what a couple of players are doing and my dad served or I served and I'm having real difficulty and what what happened it's become a distraction and you know the NFL owners are trying desperately to put this thing behind them but the social media is not allowing them to do it. Well, and part of the problem, I think, here, too, Jim, is the fact that this is this is a valid discussion point. America yeah. should be engaged in this dialogue. Right. But instead of being engaged in the dialogue of what's happening in race relations and, and right. in the relations that minority communities are experiencing with civil authorities, police, so on and so forth, instead of getting that dialogue going, we have half the country that says, uh, let them go ahead and take a knee, and the other half of the country that says, wait a minute, I have a father who serves a grandfather who served, Mm -hmm. I served, others that I know that maybe even died on the battlefield, and they see the national anthem, the the flag, as symbols of who we are as a country and what we should be working toward. I mean, the irony is that we should see those symbols not of something to to act in defiance toward, but rather say, this represents what we should be striving for. Listen – The Declaration of Independence, the phraseology of all men created equal, was done so at a time when slavery was still allowable and still accepted and still legal in this country. Our national viewpoint did not really sync up with the ideals that we established the nation on. So what did we have to do as a people over the course of the next 100 years? And it's sad it took that long. But over the course of the next 100 years, we had to work toward righting that wrong. And I think seeing the goal that we need to work toward is where our focus should be. And sadly, that message has got lost amongst the den of the politicizing of all of this. And and that's my point exactly. Uh, I hope your listeners will know. First of all, I grew up in East Oakland uh, during the time of the race riots, and yet our ministry works with hundreds of African-American pastors in, in the Oakland area trying to help them to reach the men in their community to, to help them because many of these men do not have uh, biological fathers in the home and uh, I believe that's what that's what bothers me most Craig about this whole thing is that this has been a distraction to what could happen off the field you know people we'd all agree that we live in a broken country you and I are broken we're not perfect role models every day you know we strive to be but 
we aren't. We're all broken. But the reality is that with all that's going on in this world today, we need some releases. And you and I would agree that number one release needs to be in Christ Jesus and through his word. But secondly, sports has been a release for people. Watching guys who are very gifted and and very loved uh, do their thing out on the field on Sunday or Saturday or during the week like yesterday with the Warriors. We love that. So now we don't have that as a relief, you might say, and the tensions are building in this country. People are, I've never seen this country more angry, more discouraged, more frustrated, more down and out than it is today. And I'm not saying sports is a cure-all, but let's not take that that uh, area that we used to see as kind of an area where we could relax um, to now bring up all the the issues going on. I, I'm a firm believer, and I know KFAX is with their upcoming um, seminar on uh, unification. The word is unity. You know, you mentioned our past heritage. Uh, George Washington said this, unity of government is important to the citizens of the United States because unity supports our independence, our peace, safety, prosperity, and liberty. And I'm amazed at the number of times as I prepared for this show, the number of times the word unity comes up in Scripture. Paul, in numerous letters, talks about unity. Christ, in the Great Commission, what does he talk about? He talks about that we should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy mind, all thy soul, all thy spirit, all our being, And then he says, but the second thing is equally important, to love your neighbor. And I think the conversation has to come back. How do we love and respect one another as human beings? It doesn't matter what our our skin color is. It doesn't matter that we should be focusing on the past and our our breakdowns of the past that we need to focus on our future and what we can do to build a stronger country to be more unified it's interesting to me the word unity it starts with you and i Hmm. unity right yes and community from the word unity is in community and so you and i are in community Okay, and the first three letters of community is what? Command, C-O-M, come, which is translated as command. So it's a command of God through his word that we should be unified, unified in spirit and thought. And so when we have these distractions that touch on on uh, uh, portions of our heart and spirit, that are so um, important uh, because there's been people and and, um, our background relative to the flag and all that. It's a distraction from where we should be talking. Indeed so. And so sadly then, instead of a dialogue about what we need to work on, how we need to come together, how we need to tear down these walls that divide us and address these very legitimate concerns, instead we're debating whether or not it's disrespectful and... 
we run off suddenly the, the conversation runs off the rails dr jim grassi with us today in studio he is the founder and president of men's ministry catalyst the author of a number of best-selling books his latest guts grace and glory information on the web at men's ministry catalyst.org that's men's ministry catalyst.org a timeout back with more as lifeline continues Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.